Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. King Slime is a production of iHeart Podcasts and Heirloom Media. This is the Black Country Club of Atlanta. It's Saturday morning, just after 10 at A&M Barbershop in Atlanta's Castleberry Hill neighborhood on the city's southwest side. This barbershop is the oldest black-owned barbershop in Georgia. This is history. A&M first opened its doors in 1956 in a deeply segregated Atlanta. Barbers Derek and Carlos have been cutting hair at this little four-chair institution for decades. I've been working here, um, this year will be 21 years. I've been at A&M Barbershop for like 25 plus years. This place is bustling. Black men fill rows of metal folding chairs. They're sitting under a painting of cartoon dogs getting haircuts, scrolling through their phones. A black and white photo of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. hangs over their heads. King and Malcolm are smiling and shaking hands. A poster gridded with profiles displays different fade styles. The bright vanity lights over the mirrors of each station reflect off the brown tile floor. And of course, there's the swirling candy cane of a barber pole just outside the door. You know, we come in here, we can let our hair down, tell a few lies and laugh, and watch sports. And just enjoy all the customers, you know, everybody got opinions about different things. We talk politics, sports, you know, women. <laughs> you know, this the barbershop didn't mean a whole lot to the community. This is an Atlanta Saturday. Well, this is pretty much how it must have felt on another Saturday back on January 10th, 2015. 
As always, Carlos was on his white and maroon chair in the back corner. Well, it started out as a good day. You know, everybody was cutting hell. We had customers outside, you know, kicking and waiting to get their cuts. It's the late afternoon, early evening. A man named Donovan Thomas walks in. He's a regular from the neighborhood. Big guy, 26 years old. Everyone calls him Peanut. Or just Nut. It's been his nickname since he was little. I've been knowing Peanut for um, probably 2015, maybe my 13th year. So I had been knowing him at least 12, 13 years. That night, he had paid for everybody's haircut that was in him. Three kids, I had one customer, he paid for him. And then he also paid Mr. George. Mr. George is the owner. When we walked into the barbershop that morning, Good Morning America was blaring on the TV. But on that evening, back in January 2015, there was a big game on. Once again, January brings the Ravens to Foxborough to face Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. We was all geared up about playoff weekend. Right before it happened, you know, we were watching the game. Baltimore versus New England. And, you know, Peanut was with Baltimore. And I was telling them, why don't go against Tom Brady? Don't do that. He was like, I believe they got him tonight, though. I was like, nah, don't do it. So they jumped out like 14-0. Brady dropped back to the Ravens. And before he could leave. He scoops it up, shakes a tackle. Amendola dives. You know, New England came back, tied it up, 14-0. Touchdown, Patriots! Around 7.15 that night, Carlos cuts off his clippers. He holds a mirror up so Nut can check his fade. The barber cape comes off. Nut rises from the chair. He and Carlos grip hands and say goodbye. Then Nut walks out the door. And then, you know... Out the blue, a bunch of shots break out. I had ran to a cop in the back. So, you know, we had like a system. Somebody run the aid when when it's needed, and somebody called 911. My co-worker, Derek, ran outside to run the aid to whoever needed because we didn't know what happened. And I was the 911 caller. Okay, so you call 911, and what do you tell the dispatcher? That somebody was shot. I didn't know who, because I never went outside. And so they were telling me that they needed an ambulance, so I relayed that message to the um, 911 people. And during that time, they were like, hey, tell them we need two ambulances. I was like, damn, they say we need two ambulances. And then... They were hollering commotion back and forth. Then this thing, you know, they were like, we need a third ambulance. And I'm like, damn, how many people don't got shot? And they, you know, I stayed on the phone with them for a little while, you know, giving them information that I had. <clears throat> and they finally got here and took him. They parked about right outside the window. And Peanut, they were shot. Two in the parking lot and peanut on the sidewalk. We begin tonight with a developing story. Atlanta police are on the scene of a triple shooting, and one of the victims is a teenager. It was cold that January night, in the 30s. Three young men laid on the sidewalk. You could have seen their breath. A teen named Cordarius Sanders 
was shot in the left ankle. A man named Reginald Hendricks was shot in the groin. And Donovan Thomas was shot multiple times in the chest and arm. Paramedics arrived and began treating the victims. And they went by with him on the gurney. And that looked bad to me. When his arm dangled off and just dangled, like, you know, that ain't a good look. All three victims were taken to Grady Hospital. The shooting happened outside a barber shop, and tonight one victim is clinging to life. Sanders and Hendricks' injuries weren't life-threatening, but Donovan Thomas was in critical condition. His family gathered at the hospital. The outlook was grim. At 10.06 p.m., Thomas would die. But before he did, police allege he whispered something to his brother. Four words that would change everything. Thug had me killed. Two of the hottest rappers coming out of Atlanta are now in big legal trouble. Young Thug and Gunna are facing serious charges. The rapper and 28 other defendants charged in a 56-count indictment. That indictment alleges his YSL record label is a criminal street gang that has committed murder, assault, and threats of violence. Jeffrey Williams, the rap artist known as Young Thug, has been at the center of not just Atlanta's music scene, but America's music scene for years. And now he's on trial, accused of heading up a violent gang responsible for murder. I'm Christina Lee, a music journalist who has covered Atlanta's hip hop scene for over a decade. And I'm George Cheedy, a crime and politics reporter based in Atlanta. This trial changes music. This trial changes Atlanta. And we're gonna tell you how. This is King Slime. The prosecution of Young Thug and YSL. So over the past decade, Young Thug has become an international superstar, cranking out hits, collaborating with everyone from Drake to Camila Cabello, Post Malone to Justin Bieber, and minting new artists with his label YSL. But police allege that over the same decade, Young Thug was building another organization under the name YSL, one that recruited troubled youth, peddled drugs, incited violence, and committed murder. There's a story of his musical fortune and fame. And there's the story of Young Thug and street life in Atlanta. As a music journalist, I've reported on Young Thug and Gunna's careers as they skyrocketed out of South Atlanta to become internationally known rap stars. The first time I wrote for NPR Music, I wrote about Young Thug's music. The first time I wrote for XXL Magazine, I profiled Gunna. He fondly remembered being crowned best dressed in high school. And this was many years before Rihanna would dress as Gunna for Halloween. I never could have imagined that either their careers would lead us to this moment where Atlanta's reputation as a rap capital appears to be in jeopardy. Young Thug and Gunna were arrested at the peak of their mainstream influence. They each had number one albums. Gunna scores his second number one album as DS Forever debuts atop the tally with Young Thug achieves his third number one as his latest release, Punk, debuts in the top slot. Gunna attended the Matt Gala, 
and they both were musical guests on Saturday Night Live. Ladies and gentlemen, Young Thug. Ladies and gentlemen, Gunna. And just months prior, they appeared on the cover of Billboard magazine. The article's tagline? Young Thug and Gunna's hot streak isn't enough for the Atlanta duo. That cover story laid out what music journalists covering pop music had just started taking for granted. YSL Records was a hit-making label. Young Thug won his first Grammy for his writing credits on Childish Gambino's This Is America. The Spotify playlist, This Is Young Thug, shows that he's this sought-out feature artist for the likes of Doja Cat, Future, Calvin Harris, and even Elton John. But Young Thug's career started small, in a studio on Spring Street, owned and operated by a producer named David Cunningham, better known as Dundeal. So were you always Dundeal? No, geez. Today, Dundeal is 37, though this was years before he'd worked with artists like Kevin Gates, Lil Uzi Vert, and Trey Songs. This was also before he'd produce Atlanta rap classics like She Twerkin' by Cash Out and Hannah Montana by Migos. Before all that, he grew up in New York, Arizona, and California. He'd moved to Atlanta when he was a teenager in the year 2000. Dundeal started out rapping, but quickly turned to producing instead. Creflo Dollar, the famous Atlanta televangelist, gave Dundeal his moniker. And Father, I pray that you will speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. None of me and all of you. I had different names before, but it was stupid, like D-Eagle, Platinum Kid Productions. And then one day I happened to be making music at church. I went to Creflo Dollar's church and they had a studio in there. And in the church, as I'm making music for his artists, I do the beat really quick. And when he walked in the room, Creflo Dollar was like, that's a done deal. I'm going to call you done deal. And it just stuck. Done deal continued to rub elbows with several soon-to-be-famous people while they were still on the up and up. And then after that, I got with a management company called Visual Grammar. Okay. And Visual Grammar did the music for Tyler Perry's plays which I didn't know were going to turn into movies at the time. But he was still working a day job at Guitar Center to pay the bills. I happened to be working one day, and this guy walks up to me while I'm making a beat on the keyboard. He was like, he was like, you just made that? I was like, yeah, I just made it. The guy was an artist manager named Boo Man. He told Dundeal to help him pick out some studio equipment. He was like, I want the best of the best equipment for my studio. So we go through and we're picking everything out. He was like, all of this is yours. I have a building on Spring Street, and you can come, and it's yours. Just make beats for my artists. And soon, it was where Dundeal started producing mixtapes for aspiring artists from a particular part of Atlanta. Cleveland Avenue, Jonesboro South. Cleveland Avenue is this four-mile stretch of road that runs through several South Atlanta neighborhoods, stricken with the city's toughest economic conditions. It's the, it's the gutter. So if you can compare to any other town like O Block in Chicago or in California, Compton, this was the hood. This is where people are climbing out of the gutter to, to do something. 
Cleveland Avenue dead ends into Jonesboro Road. The Jonesboro South housing projects used to be in this area, a campus of subsidized apartments for low-income, mostly Black residents. And when you say folks were, like, climbing out of the gutter, like, was music looked at as their way out, or how was Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, music was definitely a way out for a lot of people. The city of Atlanta got rid of all its housing projects outright, starting in 2006. But many of the kids who grew up in Jonesboro South stayed tight. As Dundeal is coming up, his name starts getting passed around in that circle. And in 2009, a stranger from Jonesboro South shows up to Spring Street. One day, I get a knock on my door, and I kind of creak it open, and I'm looking through, and I'm like, yo, what's up, can I help you? He was like, yeah, man, I'm going to be the next Lil Wayne. Let me in your studio, let's work. And I'm like, the hell? And he, he looks crazy. He was wearing bell bottoms and like a scarecrow hat, like a straw hat, a trench coat with the arms cut out and a little kind of cut off belly shirt. And I was like, what the hell is this? He was like, I'm young thug, man. He was like, I'm going to change your life. Jeffrey Williams was only 17 years old when he introduced himself to Dundeal as young thug. Now, when he said, I'm going to be the next Lil Wayne, I guess there's two ways to read that, right? One is stylistically, two is in like, I'm going to be as famous as Lil Wayne. So like, how did you interpret that? Or what do you think he meant by that? I interpreted it as Thug knew exactly what he was going to do to take it to the next level. I think he had a game plan. Any artists that have ever crossed my path, the only person I ever wanted to sign was Thug. Like, I love all my all my people that I've worked with, but Thug was the person that came with a, a idea and a mindset that matched his music. Okay. And what did that game plan look like? I mean, his game plan was to outwork everybody, stylistically to change the sound of, of Atlanta music. We did three mixtapes. I came from nothing, one, two, and three. The first one was like, you know, almost unbearable because our production recording is kind of like it was drawn off of as good as you can get and then the second one was you could see growth Mm -hmm. and then the third one people started to pay attention to who thug was at the time artists like ti and young jeezy were big on the scene but Dundeal says that what he and Young Thug were making was changing the sound of Atlanta rap. Thug brought the melodic trap sound to music. So I think that was the mindset is that Thug was on a the train to head somewhere and I'm going along. Better yet, Young Thug was already dressing the part of an unconventional rap star. He paid attention to fashion. He was looking up on the internet while people are looking at you know, guns and stuff like that. He's looking up European fashion, talking about, oh, you see what they're wearing on the runway? This is at 19, 20 years old. It's like, you know, that's strange, but that's good because you're going to influence people. So he was into that from from the beginning. Yeah, he was putting together his own clothes. Like when I tell you he was wearing a pea coat with the with the arms cut out of it, because he cut the arms off. He's, he's, he was trying to create his own fashion sense. 
Young Thug started performing at Club Crucial, a nightclub and music venue owned by rapper T.I. Once the club opened up in Atlanta's Bankhead neighborhood in 2005, it quickly became a launch pad for up-and-coming rap artists. Rich kids in Young Thug do a song called $100 Autograph, and we shot a video there. But I remember this is when things started to look up for Thug, when people started to be like, okay, this is the guy that's going to be the star. Within a few months, Atlanta trap star Gucci Mane signed Young Thug to his label, 1017. He was working at Gucci's spot, and Gucci asked me, Dunn, what do you think it's going to take for Thug to get to the next level? And I told him, I was like, get his teeth done. I was like, he, his confidence comes from how he looks. If you give him the confidence, he's going to take it to the next level. And literally within the next month, Thug was like a different person. Um, in that from the time he got his teeth done, next month we made Stoner. So we did Stoner, and then we started doing more songs and hooking up with Rich Homie Quan, and we did the Rich Gang tape literally maybe three months later from that, mm-hmm. four months later. And then it was just uncontainable. Mm-hmm. You couldn't stop him from rising. I remember hearing this early stretch of Young Thug mixtapes in the early 2010s that were making a splash online in the sort of tastemaker underground rap fan community. This is Joe Coscarelli, culture reporter at the New York Times and author of Rap Capital, an Atlanta story. I remember two things about it. One is that he was obviously obsessed with Lil Wayne, as many people were at that time, myself included. And that was clearly the number one influence, especially the more experimental, abstract side of Lil Wayne that had come about in the you know late aughts, early 2010s. And then the other part of it was that he was taking that experimentalism even further. He was doing insane things with his voice. You know, it was very polarizing from the jump. He was sort of, you know, yelping and using autotune as this instrument and just really stretching himself vocally, saying odd things, you know, dressing oddly. Uh, And yeah, the songs just sounded like nothing I'd ever heard before. When Young Thug's music first hit Atlanta rap radio and mixtape sites like Dapith, Coscarelli says people didn't quite know what to make of it. What he was doing was considered weird and not really rap, especially when you're looking at it from a national perspective and the sort of traditionalist rap strongholds of New York or L.A. They heard a guy like Young Thug who, you know, was proudly alien in the lineage of someone like Lil Wayne or Gucci Mane and it was like an affront, I think, to traditionalist taste, to classic rules of hip-hop. Both the music and fashion industries couldn't help but be enamored by how Young Thug was breaking the rules. By 2014, Young Thug had jumped from Gucci Mane's 1017 over to 300 Entertainment, a label run by former Warner Music execs. He also had the Fashion Week-ready wardrobe to match his newfound status. On the cover of his 2016 album, Jeffrey, Young Thug wears a dress with cascading lavender ruffles on its skirt. He tips a parasol-shaped hat over his face, and only a few of his locks are visible. This entire ensemble was made by fashion designer Alessandro Tricone for men who want to express themselves. 
Young Thug wouldn't fully explain the Jeffrey cover for several more years on the song Just How It Is. And even then, he's daring you to question his fashion choices. The lyric goes, had to wear the dress because I had a stick. By stick, he means an AK-47. People were wondering, you know, is he straight? Is he gay? Is he joking? Is he trolling? I compare him, you know, he's like, in a lot of ways, like a prince-like figure, I think, you know? He's sort of like post-genre, post-gender, you know, both both tough, both masculine and feminine. And I think he just really sort of widened the parameters for, for what a rapper could be. Between a series of hits and all the conversation he started over a new femme direction and modern hip-hop style, Young Thug becomes more than just a successful artist. He becomes a tastemaker. This is also a moment where Every rapper coming up is also a label boss. They're also a gatekeeper. They're also a uh, ringleader, and they're able to bring friends and artists around them, with them, on their rise through the mainstream. Thinking of, like, Odd Future and Tyler the Creator or ASAP Rocky and the ASAP Mob, basically, you know, all of a sudden we're in a new boom time for the record industry and every rapper getting signed to a big deal is also starting their own label, starting their own imprint and bringing new talent with them. It's at that moment that I think Young Thug is able to really brand his own business. In 2016, Young Thug launches his own imprint under 300 Entertainment. He calls the label YSL, short for Young Stoner Life. Young Thug surrounds himself with friends and literal family. He features two of his sisters, Dor and Dolly, on his songs. He signs his older brother, Unfunk, to the label. And YSL's biggest hit-making signee hails straight from College Park, out of Atlanta's South Side. But it's not really until the rise of, of Gunna a few years later that YSL has another breakout sort of on the, on the scale of, of a Young Thug. Often, when rap stars launch their own labels, their founders steal the spotlight from their own signees. Miraculously, that didn't happen with Gunna. Instead, these two natives from Atlanta's South Side, Cleveland Avenue and College Park, would take the world by storm. These artists were at the really at the top of their game. You know, in 2021, YSL has a number one album with a label compilation called Slime Language 2. Gunna has a number one album. Young Thug has his own number one album with Punk. They're on SNL together. You know, they have this smash single, Push and P with Future, Thug and Gunna on the same song. They were just really on top of the world. And then on May 9th, 2022, the music stopped. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. 
There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Young Thug's house on Allison Drive is only 15 miles north of Cleveland Avenue. 
but it might as well be in another country. Buckhead is Balenciaga, Gucci, and Prada. It's for white women in designer clothes and black women in designer clothes who get stopped by the cops because they don't look like they belong there. When people in Atlanta want to describe something that affects everyone, they talk about going from Buckhead to Bankhead. Buckhead has restaurants that will employ black people from Bankhead who can't afford to eat there. But Buckhead is where black people with money in Atlanta show off. Buckhead is Real Housewives of Atlanta. White refrigerator. I was like, oh, oh not a white refrigerator. T.I. and Tiny. All I want is leather and wood. <laughs> Love and hip-hop. Simmer down. No, you Take simmer them. down. We're here because of you, sweetheart. You showed your ass. On May 9th, 2022, Atlanta police took Young Thug out of his Buckhead house in handcuffs. There appeared to be a massive presence on Allison Drive in Buckhead by Atlanta police and perhaps others. The Fulton County District Attorney's Office confirms that's where Young Thug resides. Authorities raided the rapper's Buckhead home as investigators arrested the 30-year-old. Young Thug, whose real name is Jeffrey Lamar Williams, is one of 28 defendants charged in a sweeping 56-count indictment against the criminal street gang Young Slime Life, also known as YSL. They found him with his friends and label mates, Diamante Kendrick, the rapper Yak Gotti, and Martinez Arnold, the rapper Lil Duke. Police say they also found him with 20 bottles of YSL Slime Drink, a THC concoction his label has been marketing in North Carolina. They found almost three pounds of weed, 31 bottles of lean, that's promethazine codeine syrup, a Schedule Five controlled substance, and they found guns. One of those was a switch, a handgun modified to fire as a machine gun. Those are very illegal. It's the sort of thing one absolutely does not want to be caught with. But Young Thug must have known the police were coming because even I knew they were coming. Young Thug has been on gang investigators' radar for about a decade. I had no idea who he was. I mean, I recognized the name, but I didn't realize he was a big deal or potentially the target of an investigation until I started reading a different indictment. New at six, a massive gang indictment in Fulton County charged a dozen people with a racketeering conspiracy, including a famous musical artist, YFN Lucci. A year before police arrested Young Thug, police arrested YFN Lucci. Yeah, you know, you know, still hustling, trying to get richer and richer. YFN Lucci is Rayshon Bennett. He's a rapper from Atlanta's Southside and a rival for Young Thug in the studio and in the streets. He's the front man for YFN, Young Fly which police describe as a street gang that started in Atlanta's Summerhill neighborhood. Fonnie Willis picked up YFN on a 105-count gang indictment a year before Young Thug's arrest. Prosecutors referenced YSL seven times in the indictment. They said a war had broken out, that YFN and their allies in another camp, Bird Gang, believed YSL was responsible for the death of Donovan Thomas. Police suspected Peanut Thomas was affiliated with YFN. So I dug in. The more questions I asked, the more it became clear that the cops believed Young Thug 
was at the center of this swirling chaos of street violence between two warring camps. And then, one by one, shoes began to drop. On April 25th, 2021, Young Thug and Gunna bailed out a handful of people from the Fulton County Jail, including one person facing a murder charge who was released on bond as a mistake. Rappers Young Thug and Gunna posted bond for 30 inmates stuck in jail facing minor charges. Those inmates could not afford bail by themselves. It wasn't 30. It was six. Then Kenneth Copeland, Lil Woody to his friends, and one of YSL's core crew got arrested in South Fulton. But police arrested Copeland on October 27th after they say he was caught driving in his girlfriend's car with a loaded gun inside. A few days later, Copeland's girlfriend, a South Fulton cop, got popped as well for trying to delete evidence from his phone. A former officer accused of trying to help get a gang member back onto the streets. Police say the pair was in a relationship. About three months later, in February, an Atlanta cop got shot six times while serving a warrant on Christian Eppinger. According to the warrants, Eppinger pushed Rogers away, pulled out a gun, and shot the officer four times in the shoulder, once in his leg, and once in the back of his head. People were shocked and outraged. But almost as a footnote, we found out that the alleged shooter was affiliated with YSL. Two days after Eppinger was arrested, someone tried to kill Young Thug's main rival, the rapper YFN Lucci, in jail. He was allegedly shanked by a YSL affiliate who is facing charges in the RICO indictment. And then in March 2022, the mother of one of Young Thug's children was shot and killed in an argument at a bowling alley near Cleveland Avenue. Police looking for the man who shot and killed a 31-year-old woman during an argument over a bowling ball. Police and family members loudly denied that her death had anything to do with the street feud. But by then, people watching all of this unfold understood that something was coming. Young Thug had a concert scheduled in April at State Farm Arena. With all the drama swirling around him and the murder of his child's mother, the promoter postponed it to June. But they didn't make it to June. Young Thug was arrested in May. Police picked him up with Lil Duke and Yak Gotti in his house in Buckhead. That Monday in 2022 was the last day Young Thug has been seen in public as a free man. Young Thug has been a target of the police since the shooting of Donovan Thomas. He faces eight counts in the now 65-count indictment. And those counts accuse him of being the leader of a gang as a violation of the state's racketeering and gang laws. The indictment alleges that the Young Stoner Life label is also the Young Slime Life street gang that it has murdered three people and tried to kill many others, committed robberies, trafficked in drugs. And if you're the leader, all of those crimes lay on your head. We'll ask on the different charges for the maximum penalties, and there's obviously many people that are looking at life under this indictment. The most serious charge against Young Thug in the indictment alleges that he rented the car used in the drive-by killing of Donovan Thomas. But it's more than that. 
Throughout the indictment, prosecutors say Young Thug spurred other members of YSL to commit acts of violence. Prosecutors used the drugs and guns found at his house, alongside lyrics and social media posts, to craft an image of Young Thug as a kingpin and his friends as willing associates. The DA claims lyrics were more than just musical expression, that they were a means of promoting the gang, making it more attractive for others to join and a method to intimidate gang rivals. But if this trial were only about rap music lyrics, it wouldn't be half as interesting as the full story. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs in Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From 2020 to 2022, Atlanta went through an unprecedented rise in violence. Prosecutors say gang crime drove that violence. District Attorney Fonnie Willis said so at the press conference announcing the Young Thug indictment. As the District Attorney of Fulton County, my number one focus is targeting gangs. And there's a reason for that. They are committing conservatively 75 to 80 percent of all of the violent crime that we are seeing within our community. Is that actually true? The DA says that it doesn't matter whether these gangs are involved in the music business. It does not matter what your notoriety is, what your fame is. If you come to Fulton County, Georgia, and you commit crimes, and certainly if those crimes are in furtherance of a street gang, that you are going to become a target and a focus focus of this district attorney's office, and we are going to prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law. So will arresting rappers lead to less violence? Can Atlanta prosecute its way to safety? Can you actually put enough gangsters in prison to reduce crime without trying to directly change a place like Cleveland Avenue? What do we want? What do we want? Three years ago, Atlanta was on a Black Lives Matter path. The current district attorney, Fonnie Willis, was elected in part because her predecessor, Paul Howard, fumbled the politics of the summer of George Floyd protests. Two Atlanta cops killed a man named Ray Shard Brooks after a scuffle at a drunk driving stop at a Wendy's. Howard was facing accusations of corruption and up for re-election against Willis, an able challenger. Howard quickly issued murder charges. But charging two cops with murder days after demonstrators burned a Wendy's to the ground in protest looked like a political move to save his own skin. The counter-protest by police and the public backlash cost him enough support to give Willis the seat. It is the end of a decades-long era. Fonnie Willis defeating her old boss, incumbent Fulton County District Attorney Paul Howard, in the runoff election, and she did so by a large margin. The tone on crime shifted almost immediately. 
as the news filled with stories of club murders and highway shootings. That's right. So right now, Atlanta police are investigating an early morning shooting. It happened outside the Marquette Lounge in northwest Atlanta. Atlanta police are investigating a deadly double shooting. Another shooting. A man is dead after bullets rang out in the parking lot of a popular Atlanta lounge. That's when Atlanta police say five people were shot near the lounge. More than a dozen people injured by gunfire. We do know that this started with a fight inside of the club blue lounge at some point it was taken outside and someone pulled a gun and started shooting and activists had been demanding to shut the city jail down and move money out of police budgets and into social services close the atlanta city detention center now atlanta was funding police projects and complaining about how people facing serious charges weren't getting prison time atlanta literally had a new sheriff in town Voters threw the old one out of office at the same time that they elected Willis. And Willis is already known for being tough on crime. As an assistant DA back in 2014, Fonnie Willis helped prosecute Atlanta public school teachers and principals associated with a cheating scandal. A scandal that rocked the city and made national headlines. The Fulton County Grand Jury has returned an indictment that contains 65 counts against 35 defendants. Teachers went on trial for fixing state classroom achievement tests to win bonuses and raise school rankings. Some went to prison. This morning, 10 Atlanta public school educators now out on bond after a judge sentenced them to prison on Tuesday for a years-long cheating scandal, changing answers on standardized tests. Now, as we work on this show, we don't know what Fonnie Willis will do with Donald Trump. We don't know if he will be charged personally with crimes of election interference from 2020. I just want to find 11,780 votes. But she's warned law enforcement to get ready. Fulton County's district attorney has put area law enforcement officials on standby for possible unrest this summer when she says she may announce charging decisions. And it's not hard to see the YSL trial as a dry run for a political circus in court in an election year. Protesters against Cop City, the controversial $90 million police facility, say that the DA's office will likely press RICO charges on them as well. RICO stands for Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, and it's both a state and federal law used to prosecute groups of people in criminal conspiracies. Defense attorneys on the YSL case say, loudly, that Willis is abusing Georgia's RICO law in all of these cases, especially the one being made against Young Thug and Gunna. After all, RICO was originally written to put mobsters to trial. Crime families like the Gambinos and Columbos. Maybe there's an argument to be made. Is this the final nail in the coffin for criminal justice reform in Atlanta? And does this send a signal to other cities that they can do the same? It's hard to find a bigger symbol than this case. When Fonnie Willis addressed the media about the YSL indictment in May 2022, she called Georgia's RICO law a powerful tool. 
It is certainly a tool that I believe in. The reason that I believe in it as a tool is it allows juries and the communities to see the complete picture of a crime so they can truly be educated and have facts to weigh when they're making decisions. And so if you're asking, should you expect to see other RICO indictments against under other street gang organizations? Absolutely. But she wasn't just thinking about the future of crime in Atlanta. She was also thinking back to January 10th, 2015. I sat down with Mr. Thomas's mother and I made her a promise that her son was as valuable as any other person within our community and that I would put resources on this case and that I would do everything I could to make sure that her son had justice. We came to AM Barbershop because that's where Donovan Thomas was gunned down. He spent his last few moments in Carlos's chair, watching football and shooting the shit. That's what people do in a barbershop. We wanted to know how this case was being talked about in a place so pivotal to it. Does, does music come up? Does this case come up? Yeah, you know, yeah, that, that's, that's the talk of probably the globe right now. You know. What opinions have folks had about it, I guess? You know, they have mixed opinions. Some people, you know, saying that it's a case where they think that he going to get out, you know, they, and some people saying that he finished. And, you know, I just don't know. I just have to wait and see. This case and the trial have been surprising in many ways, and so is the reaction to it. You sort of think you know what someone might say about it, and then they make you think twice. Like when Carlos the Barber put blame for all of this in a place we didn't expect. A lot of things happened due to the music. Sex, violence, and drugs. And if you listen to the number one top ten songs, listen to what they're saying, and then you put on the evening news then you see what they're saying. Do you think the music reflects what's actually going on in the street? Exactly. Yeah. Everything they talk about in the song is happening. Kick your door down, door can kick down. We spin your block, block can spin. People getting shot, you know, robbed, all kind of stuff. And that's what the music talking about these days. And so just so I understand, you're saying the, the music kind of, like, if it's a chicken versus egg situation, right? You're saying the music leads to the violence or that the violence is reflected in the music? It's, it's more like a trigger. The music triggers the mind. See, music is universal. If we can change that and get people to start talking about more positive stuff, then you can reprobate the mind. Once you get the mind reprobated, then... People start having different actions, better actions. And so that's my theory. Change the dynamics of the music, then you change your thinking, especially of the young. That doesn't sound like it's easy to do, though. Nah, ain't nothing good come easy. Nothing good come easy. As a political journalist, I've been thinking long and hard about what happens when crime arises. 
politicians do whatever they have to do to stay in office, even if it means walking back promises to reform the criminal justice system. I came across the YSL case almost by accident as I was looking at how people in power were getting at gang crime. But now, I'm looking at how this case speaks to the larger issues. Prosecuting Young Thug is symbolic of bigger things. In this show, you're going to hear from everybody about who Young Thug is and what the significance of this trial could be. You're going to hear about the murders and all of the different people involved. And we'll talk about the controversial use of lyrics as evidence. We have different questions. What does it mean to be a real street rapper in Atlanta? Are people making more out of gang violence than is real? How are people actually living in the places that create this music? How connected is music to real street life in Atlanta? If Young Thug is convicted, what does that mean for music? What does it mean for Atlanta as hip hop's mecca? If street gangs are really and truly part of musical life in Atlanta, and we're trying to fight gangs, are we going to have to fight music at the same time? Atlanta is split in a dozen different ways. The street is only one part of this city. The part people who listen to Atlanta trap music are most familiar with. But we're talking to everyone, from folks on Cleveland Avenue... Young Thug's home turf... ...to the movers and shakers in politics and business. From cops to crooks and to regular people. This case affects the whole city and the whole country. Some of the ways might surprise you. This is King Slime. Next time on King Slime. From I-75 to Jonesboro Road, that part of Cleveland Avenue will be called Cleveland Avenue. Tell us why. Uh, because it's dominated by blood, sis. He wasn't Young Thug when I met him. He was Jeffrey Williams. He was a part of a hybrid gang rock crew. See, people think gangs is a hate thing when gangs is actually a love thing, right? Meaning, these are my friends. I grew up with them. I love them. Their method of engaging in social control has to do with using violence and force. And it's inevitable that it's going to spread when you've got combatants that don't see a bright future for themselves and know that, you know, it's a it's a kill-or-be-killed kind of a, a world out there. Okay, I hope I ain't saying too much. King Slime is a production of iHeart Podcasts and Heirloom Media. It's written and produced by George Chidi, Christina Lee, and Tommy Andres. Mixing, sound design, and original music by Evan Tyre and Taylor Shacoin. The executive producer and editor is Tommy Andres. Fact-checking by Kaylin Lynch. Our theme music is by Dunn Deal. Special thanks to Josh Lewin. And to the Atlanta News outlets 11 Alive, WSB-TV, and Fox 5. For more shows from iHeart Podcasts, visit the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.